0: 710. Now let's kick off your financial future. Here's Josh Chelinsky.
1: Hi everybody this is Josh Chelinsky, the financial quarterback. We're with best-selling author, Boston University professor, New York Times best-selling author, Lawrence Kotlikoff, world renowned economist, president of the Economic Security Planning Inc. And we're going to talk about all kinds of things money magic and economists secrets, to more money, less risk, and a better life. So before we do, Larry, what brought you as a Jersey boy uh, Mm -hmm. working in the Camden, New Jersey-based Kotlikoff's department store, wherever you worked, what brought you from Kotlikoff's to uh, the world of finance?
0: (laughs) Well, that's a good question. Um, So I started my career in the working world Probably at age six or eight, I think my, my parents uh, and uh, or my dad and his brothers were violating labor laws, but we were involved in, you know, uh, wrapping presents uh, for Christmas time and uh, we were and taking inventory over New Year's Day and tagging the things coming in uh, for sale and then waiting on customers. So. I had you know years of experience in haberdashery before I went to <laughs> off to college, and then in college I thought I would be a, uh, a doctor, so I, th- I took biology, wow. and so I'm so I'm uh, basically they asked us to anesthetize a a a, um, a mouse, no, it was a frog, and cut open its chest, and then inject the heart with something that would kill it, and then uh, rub it's well, let's say no, and then inject it with something else, acetylcholine or something, to get it to its heart to be uh, awoken. And to, to rub the heart of the dissected frog with open, it's like doing open heart surgery. And I'm rubbing the heart, and it comes back to life. <laughs> and then it's and they say killed again and resurrected again, do the same thing, and you know record what happens each time. So by the end of that class, I was an economics major. So it just shows you that you can really, you just don't know what you're capable of unless you try it
1: and uh, give it a try. And if it fails, you try something else. Yeah, life has unexpected twists and turns. It's sort of like if your father was it. Your father was the the Kotlikoff. Yeah, he was the, one of the owners. Yeah.
0: Um, he and his two brothers, yeah.
1: I'm looking up, there's an old website. Uh, was your father's name Tanfield? No,
0: Harold. It was Harold, Tanfield, and Albert.
1: Okay, I'm I'm looking at some. Uh, I see a picture of Tanfield. Yeah, Harold, Lewis, and Tanfield. Uh, there's yeah. a picture of the, uh, I guess, your great grandfather was Lewis? Lewis, that was
0: my grandfather. Never met him. He died. Uh, he, he came from Kiev, so we're, I guess, Ukrainian. And uh, so the whole war there has some special meaning for me. Uh, But uh, he escaped uh, the Russian army to get to the U.S. around 1890. And uh, he started the the store and he um, then he died of, I think, lung cancer because he was a smoker. And uh, everybody lived above the store and then they gradually expanded. So they were the first and the last department store in Camden. They were about three quarters of a block. Big, they had, you know, complete department store and then all the other big department stores like Lit Brothers and Sears and Wanamaker's. These are names that people don't probably, uh, uh, you know, remember, unless you're my age. And you're, uh, But these were the big department stores at the time. They all moved into Camden. And then what happened is that they had re- urban renewal for Camden, which in the 50s, they put a highway uh, right through the middle of Camden. And so that plus white flight, you know, the cars got better. They started the the suburbs, Cherry Hill Mall and McDonald's were out there. So uh, and uh, uh, there was a a big migration of blacks from the south to to Camden and to other uh, cities. And the whites, you know, there was a lot of racism even in the north uh, in the fifties and the sixties and the seventies. So, the whites left en masse. Uh, the tax base fell. The city was divided. And one after the next department store closed, and all the other businesses closed. The only business that's really left there is uh, Campbell Soup, uh, and our store folded. I think in like seventy-five or eighty. Uh, we had three robberies in one night. So the, the police were in cahoots with the criminals to the point where I believe that the state has actually taken over the police department. You know, decades later, there's been so much corruption in that city. Wow. But the whole thing started with just uh, liberals thinking that, oh, wouldn't it be great to have a highway right through the center of Camden? And they have put a highway through the center of Providence. And the center of lots of about 50 cities in our country have highways right through the middle of them, including Philadelphia. And what they've done is they more or less made the cities, you know, they they destroyed the economies of these cities to a large extent Hmm. uh, to the point where cities now have plans on the books to move the highways away from the city so they can reconnect. You don't see this in Europe. You don't see uh, all the everybody living in the suburbs, their zone not to, you know, to destroy uh, nature and, and, uh, and the environment. And people live in the cities. And, you know, take a, a city like Nuremberg, Germany, where I lived as a high school exchange student for a year uh, in 1968. That city has turned into a pedestrian uh, walkway. You can walk. It's a small city. But you walk everywhere they rebuilt it it was completely leveled after world war ii because that was hitler's parade town so they the allies were sure to kill knock everything down but they built it up so it looks very much like it used to an old castle three old churches um it's beautiful historic you know place to go and visit and they just you know were much much more clever about zoning and uh and making it a a place where people could... Yeah, nice
1: experience. Now they don't do that. And, you know, various cities are disintegrating. So we'll take our first break of the hour. I want to get more lessons. We're going to go to your book. We're going to go to your latest research. But I I love hearing the stuff about Kotlikovs. My dad always said, Oh, I remember Kotlikovs. And what's interesting is there's, there's so many stories within your Kotlikov journey of the department store, like, you know, Kotlakovs was a big department store back then, you know, at its zenith. Some website says it had a million dollars of revenue in like the fifties or sixties, which was a lot of money back then. And it was one of the holdouts. This one website said, um, of the opening of the Cherry Hill mall, which was one of the, you know, first big kind of super malls in the area. So you kind of learn a lot of lessons there that led you to economics Want to touch on that? Also, kind of like ways things go in life. You know, today, if you were, you know, head of some store, you would probably try to flip it or have a private equity fund take you over, and you couldn't do that back then. Right. So, it's an interesting thing of like, uh, you know, Brooks Brothers isn't owned by Brooks Brothers anymore. It's owned by some private equity firm or Toys R Us. The intellectual property is owned right. by somebody. Else. So back then, I think a lot of those. Department stores had some really neat things that actually were kind of going back to more kind of boutique shopping, and you get your you yeah. know, so your there's haberdashery. You know,
0: there's a lot of backstories. I mean, my dad uh, went to law school and at Rutgers in the 30s, right in the middle of the depression. We got out of school. There was no jobs for lawyers, so. He was really didn't want to spend the whole life, you know, in the store, so he was forced to go back and work at the store. So the whole family, you know, was fi- family finance. But then he spent all his money. You know, the store was profitable, but he put all his money into my education and then my brother and sister. And because we, we went to a private uh, school, Quaker school in the area, because the public schools were in Pennsylvania and were. Quite poor, you know, they were just weren't teaching you. They were doing coloring books in seventh grade science. So, so by the time the the store failed, my mom and dad had nothing except their house. So, it went from a success story, an economic success story, to a, a failure. And at 18, my dad got Parkinson's disease. So, I became responsible for my parents and then my brother and sister, you know, too, as they started making you know some money so it was a collective effort to keep them at a good living standard because my mom died in 98 my dad died at 81 he got parkinson's at 59. Hmm. so you know it wasn't all like you know (laughs) it was all rosy and all success story it was uh, a struggle uh, to keep everybody together but it was a family struggle it's family insurance when the family works together they're a much more effective insurance company than an insurance company.
1: Yeah, that's uh, fascinating. So, uh, folks, if you want the book, uh, I will give you a copy of Larry's latest book, Money Magic, An Economist's Secrets to More Money, Less Risk, and a Better Life. We're going to talk more about the secrets there. But it's interesting how a lot of people have this journey where the, the, let's call it the immigrant class, of the 1900s entrepreneurial or more like union laborers or you know construction workers police officers department store owners whatever it might be did whatever they did kind of entrepreneurs then if they were successful enough so our ukrainian immigrants we didn't none of them had money they were way lower so like one or two went to college or anything and and they kind of struggled through life, a lot of them. And then now entrepreneurialism is cool. So it's kind of interesting. It's entrepreneurialism, then the Academy and kind of your story and your brothers is your entrepreneurial parents said, Hey, do better than we did. Go to college. And you both stayed there. And now Kind of the flip side is everybody's back into entrepreneurialism. I think that'll change as we go through another recession. I think a recession will be upon us probably next year. People wake up and go, uh, well, this market's a mirage. Things are problematic. I want to get your take on recession or not recession. But it's interesting how it's kind of life's a strange circle, right? You have parents who want to better their kids' lives. You know, they want them to be doctors, accountants, lawyers, and then... They don't want them to have their struggle. And then, you know, you might have your kids' generations and they then are entrepreneurs because they got, you know, so it's a a weird, you know, strange circle. There's not
0: one path to economic success. You have to really kind of look around, you know, about we only have about a quarter to 30 percent of our kids actually with college degrees out there. So the idea that everybody should be going to college and that everybody is going to, once they get to college, they're going to get through college and make a success out of that. That's not at all the case. The, there's 40% dropout rate. So the, out of every 100 kids who start off in college this September, 40, 40 uh, will drop out. They will not finish their degrees. So people have to think carefully whether college is for me, And certainly before they start borrowing money at these very high rates and then they get their parents to take out what are called parent plus loans because they can only borrow a certain amount under the federal limit but the federal government will lend as much as uh, as the parents want to the to the parents to help the kids uh you know the parents borrow the money to help the kids kids get through college and then what happens thereafter Do do the parents turn around and say look I just borrowed 100000 bucks over the last four years. By the way, I didn't tell you about it because I didn't want you to worry about it. But guess what? It's your obligation because, you know, I've been paying uh, the interest on it for four years. But now that you're out of college, you get to take it over because I did this for you. And the kid says, oh, my God, I wanted to go into get a master's degree or do, you know, become a painter or a musician. I can't afford this. And now you have conflict because there hasn't been a discussion ex ante or the parent says, well, don't worry, I'll keep paying. But then the kid ends up paying out at the wazoo because, I mean, effectively, because if the parents are maintaining their living standard and just just using their income to pay off uh, this loan, then they're going to have less wealth And then they're going to show up in old age and the kids are going to have to either take care of them because they have less money or they're going to die early and the kids will inherit less money. So either way, the kid ends up paying the bill and the interest rates on these parent plus loans are are really high because the government is in, you know, is really uh, not, you know, we think of Uncle Sam as being a benevolent entity. I'm not a republican or a democrat just so your listeners uh know and viewers but if you look at what uncle sam is doing the details when it comes to student loans it's horrific what they're doing is they're you know uh, putting so many kids and their parents into debtors prison we have like a trillion and a half of outstanding student debt we have people three thousand people in their 60s i think at least or maybe 3 million i forget the number it's a big number. I think it's maybe three million still paying off their student loans in their 60s. We, we have, you know, it's the second largest set beyond credit card bills. And uh, most kids are borrowing a lot of money to drop out, you know, not most, but 40 percent to drop out of college. So they end up borrowing and paying back potentially for large parts of their life uh, for something that paid no return. So, and then you, you know, uh, Josh, you mentioned social security. I mean, social security, in addition to being entirely bankrupt, if you look at table 6F1, Romans 6, so it's a V1, 6V, uh, 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 let's see, 6F, um, 6VF1, is a, uh, it's in the appendix, it's the infinite horizon, liability, unfunded liability of Social Security at $65.9 trillion, came out in March 31st, the trustees report of 2023. Uh, and that's like two and a half years of GDP. So this system is beyond broke. And they're, the politicians are talking about the 75-year liability as if everybody is going to drop dead 75 years from now. But we have to do the accounting correctly taking into account all the obligations and all the tax receipts to pay those obligations. We're coming up 65.9, two and a half years of GDP short. That's just the macro problem, okay? The micro problem is that I've been writing about of late is the Social Security horror stories that you could be collecting uh, benefits for years, and and they could be overpaying you based on no mistake on your own, I just got an email yesterday from a lady who was uh, over was clawed back. She got a letter in the mail. She's in her seventies, and she's uh, being asked to pay back immediately one hundred and seventeen thousand dollars for money that they mistakenly paid. This could be, for example, a school teacher, and they didn't correctly reduce her benefit for the fact that she was getting a non-covered pension, and or. and therefore, they're paying her too much for all these years, and she thinks it's her money. And now, hey, you owe us $117,000. And if you don't pay it back right away by this date, like a month from now, we're going to reduce your check to either zero or, or dramatically. And we'll pay you again benefits starting in 25 years when you paid off this obligation. No explanation of how this happened of the overpayment. So if you go to larrykotlikoff.substack.com, which is my newsletter, so it's just my name, larrykotlikoff.substack.com, you can subscribe for free, or if you just put in, Larry, my last name, Substack, and Social Security Heart Stories, you will come to 70 of these uh, stories that people have emailed me, and Terry Savage, who's a uh, journalist in Chicago, and both of us are, now collecting these stories to make public uh, the fact that we've got something like 235,000 people every year are getting a clawback letter from Social Security. We've gotten them to tell us how many people they're sending letters to like this. It's 235,000. So if you ask how many people have outstanding clawbacks, it must be two or 3 million people right now in the country. So anyone who's listening to this, who's getting a Social Security check, could be getting uh, that money, could be getting a letter in the mail uh, tomorrow that says you owe us 30000 bucks. you owe us 50000 bucks. you owe us 117000 you owe us 5000 we got. We have a case of a, le- of a letter sent to us by a guy who's in his 60s. He's getting clawed back something like $275 For an extra month's benefit that he received, he received when he was 19 because he graduated a month. The Social Security thought he graduated a month later than he actually did. They just discovered 45 years later that they paid him a month's too many benefits. So they want it back. Okay. They will pursue you. They'll take your, they'll garnish your wages. They'll take your money out of your Social Security check to pay them back for their overpayments. So Just folks, like this. Uh, we're, gonna ask,
1: we're gonna ask we're gonna ask Professor Kotlikoff after we return from the next break, what do you do if that's you? Well call us folks 888988 Josh. Get his book Money Magic 888988 Josh for free when you schedule and keep your no obligation review at 988 Josh. And we're gonna talk kind of you know, middle of the road, state planning, income planning, retirement planning, all the great tips found in his book, which award-winning book, ranked one of the best books of last year by many, you know, various rankers of financial books. And it was a real gem. So, folks, get the book now, eight eight eight-nine eight eight Josh, or go to Larry Kotlikoff.substack.com. You have his podcast, his archive. What is the website too for the horror stories?
0: Uh, well that is uh, Larry Kotlikoff.substack.com but there's also my main website is Kotlikoff.net just my last name.net and everything I I write is posted there as well but the I'm doing all kinds of interesting podcasts with I just had um, the poet laureate um, Robert Pinsky He's the poet laureate which is the top poet of the country for three years. Congress liked him so much that they kept him on for three years. Nobody had ever done that before. He starts out, you know, why do I have a poet? He's a friend of mine. So I'm, you know, and I'm not sure what we're going to start talking about. But he he uh, starts off with a poem that he reads from Robert Frost about money. So it begins with him reading a poem by Frost. It, it ends with the podcast with Robert Pinsky reading a, a Robert Pinsky poem and it's just beautiful. And then we have an interesting discussion about his new book, which is called Jersey Breaks. He's also from New Jersey, from Long Branch, New Jersey. Oh wow! Very interesting economic story. How he gets into poetry? How he becomes? I mean, he has a real gift. So uh, there is a connection between economics and poetry. They're both art art forms, and uh, that's the latest podcast. But I've got all kinds of people. Sebastian Mallaby writes for the Washington Post, Martin Wolf, who's a columnist for the New York, for the Financial Times, the chief economics correspondent, just a whole, you know, about 50 podcasts now. Uh, and uh, we're going to have to have you on to do a podcast as well, Josh.
1: That'll be fun. I'm just
0: going to go. That direction.
1: Yeah, that'll be great. Money magic and economist secrets to more money, less risk and a better life. Get the book. Even if you don't want the free review, buy the book. One of the best new books of finance, it's now almost year and a half old, year and six months, but it is timely still today. So call us, 888-988-JOSH, if you want the book. Maybe in the middle of COVID, people got kind of, you know, sidetracked, they didn't get the book. Get it or get it for free when you call my office right now at 888-988-JOSH. That's 888-988-JOSH. There are so many interesting secrets. I think I only disagree with like one or two. Uh, So that's pretty good. And a lot of them are really time-tested methods that are surprising ways of viewing things. What about person listening? I, I have actually over the years seen this, but I didn't know like what you can do. And most of the time, these people are elderly. They're scared and they pay them. They pay the government. What do you do if if that's you listening right now?
0: Well, these clawback letters arrive with no explanation whatsoever, just as a demand uh, to get uh, to repay. You know, I I talked to a 74-year-old lady this morning for about a half an hour. She called me. She said that she got a 35K plus, uh, a little bit more money, um, clawback letter couple weeks ago, no explanation, but she realized what had happened is that they paid her a spousal benefit. She was grandfathered under the old law. So they paid her a spousal benefit. She used her correct social security number, but she used her maiden name in applying for the spousal benefit. Then later when she's 70, she applies for her retirement benefit and they continue to pay her both benefits. And she didn't realize you know, for like five, four or five years, they're paying her both benefits and their system should know that you don't pay, you know, a a benefit that's uh, both benefits. If you're on the same social security number, when one exceeds the other, when you're both getting both benefits, Uh, you know, so the the most simple coding uh, mistakes are happening in their uh, system. I'm, I'm writing a book with a uh, Terry Savage, uh, who I mentioned, it's going to come out in September called Social Security Horror Stories and How to Avoid Yours. The most important thing to do would be to either, you know, go to Josh and have him run you through my company's software and figure out what you should get before, in other words, before you start collecting, make sure you know what you should be collecting, how much money should be coming to you, so you're not getting too big a check or too little. We've also Uh, They don't send you information necessarily about underpaying you, but they do underpay people. And it's important to know if you're being underpaid. So our software, I think, in many ways, is more accurate than their software uh, at Social Security. And we've actually found a mistake in what they're doing and gotten them to fix their software using our software. So uh, there's that. Then if you're already collecting, you want to make sure that you're not collecting more than you should be. Because as long as you collect more than you should be, then they're just gonna be adding up and eventually, it could be 45 years later and you could pass away and then they could send a clawback letter to your surviving child or to your surviving ex spouse or your surviving spouse your widow or widower. I, I've seen all this. It's all going to be in the, in this book, Social Security Hard Stories. So you want to our software, either Maximize My Social Security or Maxify Planner, can calculate for you what you should be collecting if you're already collecting. Uh, you can the, the program is good enough. It's it's smart enough to figure out, uh, you know, what you should be getting. And so you should everybody should be double checking so they're not going to get one of these these terrible letters. And we're talking about like 235,000 people getting the letters and we're talking about like $250 billion of money that Social Security is trying to claw back from the public. And Now, can you get Social Security to waive the clawback? That's, I'm sure, the question that everybody's asking. Uh, well, here's Social Security's position. They say, yes, we make mistakes. And guess what? Our mistakes are your mistake. So if we've made a mistake, it's on you to have realized it, to figure it out, to have read hundreds of thousands of rules about the 2728 rules in the handbook about the 13 benefits. You should have realized you were getting to pay too much and therefore you should have informed us. So our mistake is your mistake. You're liable for this money. And the only reason we're gonna claw back uh, the payment is if you are destitute, and if we and we have the ability to decide each uh, uh, administrative law judge, when you appeal uh, this clawback, it, it will eventually go to an administrative law judge, which is an employee of Social Security, and they're basically denying almost every everybody's uh, appeal. But if you're destitute enough, they can waive it. Uh, and in some cases, in the most egregious cases that I've been, uh, you know, people have written me about uh, on my email, I have uh, I have actually written columns in Forbes and other places. And guess what? In the next three or four days later, uh, the whole thing gets resolved internally by Social Security because they don't want the bad press. They don't want a story about Social Security suing a five-year-old. Wow. We have seen... Thirty-five year olds who are there's one guy we have in our in our you know list of on Substack. He relates getting a clawback letter. He got a benefit as a child when he was age eleven, and he's being clawed back for like six thousand bucks. We've had somebody else who's twenty-five who's clawed back for getting a benefit when he was age two. Now wow. they didn't get the money; the parents got it. They so whether applied. you're
1: so whether you're two or ninety-two, Social Security could come for you. Social security horror stories. I do have a a thing that I'll, I'll mention when we return to the next break about these administrative law judges and maybe something that could provide hope to you and Terry Savage as you're fighting social security. Uh, I wonder, have you received death threats or people out to get you, you know, because of what you're uncovered from the government. So we'll get into more of that and talk personal finance tips. Always goes so quickly with you. So, we got two more segments left. Get the book, Money Magic, 888 josh and Economist Secrets to More Money, Less Risk, and a Better Life. We'll talk about that when we return. This is Josh Jelinsky, the financial quarterback. Call us right now. Get the free book when you schedule and keep your no-obligation review. 888-988-JOSH. Or go to Kotlikoff.net and then... If you like, it's uh, the Substack. Where is the Substack? So, so
0: Larry and then uh, the software sites are Maxify.com, M-A-X-I-F-I.com,
1: or MaximizeMySocSecurity.com. And we'll talk more about those when we return. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback. Don't touch that dial.
0: Tune in to the financial quarterback, Josh Jelinski, of the Jelinski Advisory Group this weekend and learn how to protect your financial future during these turbulent times. Looking to lower your taxes or need help securing your financial future? Then Josh and his team are the people for you. They're experts in financial economics with one mission in mind, to protect you and your investments. From their 27-point checklist to their one-of-a-kind financial quarterback approach, they help you Achieve financial health and guide you through the hard times of high inflation, looming recessions, and stock market meltdown. For financial security, call them now 888 988 5674 and get your free copy of Josh's book, The Retirement Reality Check.
1: Okay, we're back with Professor Kotlikoff. Schools in Session. We're talking about Social Security horror stories, so they could go after you. I I do remember reading a Supreme Court uh, story on administrative law judges where I think Scalia's son was one of the attorneys, and they won on the basis of these administrative law judges being unconstitutional. So maybe you can be part of something where it goes to the Supreme Court. Because well, I, I think that's wrong.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it should, should be a jury
1: of their peers, and and that's a big thing with the government. I mean, this is neither a left nor a right thing. It, it, so if so, if Social Security wants you, really any governmental agency for that matter, it's like a kangaroo court with administrative law judges. It's not a jury of your peers, where there's no, evidence waiting. He's not an indip- They're not an independent
0: judges. Let me just give you a story. That's absolutely true. That I wrote about about maybe about seven years ago. It's a lady who was clawed back for $301,000. Okay, that's the biggest number I've heard about. So she writes me a letter about her clawback, and then she starts sending me documents. So she became disabled, gets onto disability, and then has nothing to do. So she writes, tries her hand at writing a ch- children's book. She'd never written a book in her life. She sends it. Off to a publisher. They love it. They publish it. It becomes a bestseller. And you can be a bestseller and not become a millionaire. You can, you know, because I've been a bestseller and you make some money, but uh, it's not a huge amount. Anyway, she starts getting royalties for the next maybe seven years. She's getting royalties. And uh, when you're on disability, you can only make so much outside money, right? So she keeps calling up Social Security every year Hey, I'm getting this outside money from publishing this book. Can I still get my disability check? Well, no problem. It's royalty royalty income. Royalty income is not earned income. Therefore, you can collect your disability check and also get your royalty payment. Fine. So she cashes the check. And then over time, the royalty income goes down and down because it's only, you know, bestsellers sellers only last for, you know, so many months or part, part of a year and then, Gradually, you know, any word of the book goes away. So, unless we have Josh pushing the book again, uh, still pushing it, the um, so ten years later, she gets a clawback letter for three hundred one thousand dollars, and she appeals, and she goes to ends up with the administrative law judge. And I read the judge's statement, his opinion. So I know this for a fact exactly what he what, how this went down. So he says in his opinion, so a long opinion, you know, I, I realize, you know, we admit that Social Security was at fault, but for me to waive your, your uh, clawback of $301,000, two things have to be true. It has to be our fault, uh, which we admit, but also you have to be destitute, uh, not, and this has to materially impact your living standard. So I've looked at all your financial records, and I noticed that you have low income, and uh, I know, you know, and she did. She basically just was living on disability again. She had no other real income. But uh, I've noticed, I've looked carefully at your cable plan. And your cable plan has is a very rich cable plan. It has lots of channels. So therefore, I've decided that you really cannot be destitute. And I've denied your, pay, your wow. claim, your appeal, your waiver appeal. And... Uh, we uh, need you to, to repay all three hundred and one thousand dollars or we' we'll, we'll also put you on a we'll give you the option to be to be on a payment plan where we'll reduce your monthly disability payment by X amount per month for the rest of your life because um, it'll take that long and you'll still not have paid us back fully so that's uh, that's justice that's not a Democratic or Republican thing that's. Um, uh, Uncle Sam involved in, involved in you know terrorizing elderly you know disabled elderly people, a lot of people who are are beloved public servants, policemen, firemen, teachers who spend most of their life or part of their life working in non-covered employment. About a quarter of our workforce is getting pensions or fourth re- retirement account accumulations. Where they in jobs where they didn't contribute to Social Security, so their benefits are reduced, their own retirement benefits are reduced, and their widow's benefit or their spouse's benefits are reduced through under through two things that our Social Security software calculates and our Maxify uh, tool calculates, which is the windfall elimination provision and the government pension offset provision, and. If those things aren't applied correctly, they social security can be paying you for many years too much money, uh, and those are nasty pieces of work to begin with. I think they're over, over you know reducing people's benefits. But anyway, many of the people that are being called back are, uh, you know, former public servants, uh, and because so they told. You know, a lot of them have told Social Security that they are receiving these pensions, but the staffer doesn't enter it into the computer system, so the computer keeps sending the wrong check, and then finally they figure it out, and it's like ten years later, or forty-five years later, or two years later, and there's a big callback, 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 and that's where things are. So the only way to really protect yourself is make sure you're not being overpaid or mark, make sure ahead of time before you get paid that it's the right amount and make sure you're not being underpaid. And uh, and then, you know, c- keep uh, recordings of all your interactions with Social Security because if you are poor, you need to prove that it was their mistake. So any interaction, people should tape record and they should videotape. If they go to the, to the Social Security office, they should say, I want to videotape this entire meeting because social security staffers uh, at least half the time are giving you the wrong answer, uh, an incomplete answer, or a misleading answer. You cannot trust social security uh, as far as you can throw the people, which is not, you know, typically we can't throw people that very far, that far. Hmm. So that's the situation. It's a, a true horror story. This is the system that most people think is the most, is the best operating public policy we have in the country. Well, the people who are in love with Social Security uh, should experience a clawback letter and see for themselves. And, And you call up in Social Security for several hours. You're waiting on hold. You finally talk to somebody. They say, we have no idea. And this is part of the horror stories. It's a complete Kafka story where you are told, hey, in two weeks, you have an appointment. We're going to set up an appointment. Somebody will call you back. For two weeks, you have no idea why you've got this huge bill that you have to pay. No explanation whatsoever. You're waiting for that call, and then nobody calls you back. And then you spend another several hours, and they make another appointment. Again, nobody calls you back. It's endless. And if you don't pay back, and you continue to get your check, and you keep cashing that check, the, the clawback amount gets bigger and bigger. They don't charge interest, but the the amount gets bigger and bigger. So it's a very, very, very difficult situation for people. Wow. It, it's as bad as it can be.
1: So folks, uh, if you like what you're hearing, download Professor Kotlikoff's latest podcast, go to Kotlikoff.substack.com or go to kotlikoff.net and get his book, Money Magic, well, in our concluding segment, we'll talk a little bit about some financial tips uh, for retirees in these uncertain times and his pick on the recession. So, folks, give us a call. 888-988-JOSH. 888-988-JOSH for the free book, Money Magic. When you schedule and keep your no-obligation 45-minute wealth strategy session, uh, what are some tips for retirees right now? They're People are uh, stuck Uh, with the ravages of inflation they're worried about the stock market even the market recently has been up uh there was the banking crisis a few months ago people are very scared we had you on back in there uh what is a retiree to do give us some tips
0: okay well it's just first of all in the recession i don't think we're going to have a recession some people think uh there's a 50 50 chance still you know we have big problems in commercial real estate um but Inflation is coming down; it's running around three percent, but interest rates are remaining high because lenders don't want to get burned and get paid back in watered-down dollars. So we saw this in the '80s, where interest rates and mortgage rates stayed high for many years, even though inflation was very low. It took a long time for rates to come down. So this means that for retirees, the real rate—the difference between the rate you can earn on long-term, like treasuries—and the inflation rate—is is pretty high, historically high relative to the last couple of decades. So For example, if you want to buy inflation index bonds, uh, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, called TIPS. You can buy 30-year TIPS that are yielding 1.8% real, and they're going to be adjusted for inflation. And that's about as high uh, a real return as you've been able to get for the last two decades. If you go back two years, it was about a zero real return for 30 years. So we finally have a security that people can build a living standard floor. uh, You know, our software Maxify Planner does that, lets you build a living standard floor and still have money in the market, but you don't spend out of it until, you know, you've decided to take out money from the market and turn it into tips and, and know that it's safe. So you treat it as like casino money that you don't spend until you've actually left the casino. So that's a way to have a stable living standard that never goes down and just have upside risk to your living standard. So, when you go to Josh and he takes you through our software, he'll run upside investment for you and for upside investing. Very simple way of having a secure, decent living standard, uh, floor to your living standard, but just upside risk. Uh, and then there's other. Um, now, what else can you do as a retiree to raise your living standard? You can think, first of all, not retire, wait. Uh, try and work longer because many of us are going to live into our 90s uh, as longevity uh, is increasing. If you're in your 60s, uh, your life expectancy is not what it was when you were zero. You have made it to the point where you have a very high life expectancy, uh, much higher than you had back when you were age zero because you haven't died in all those ensuing years. So you have to worry, especially if you're you are married or partnered about one of you, at least, making it into your 90s. So you want to make sure that you have enough resources. So work as long as you can. Uh, And if you can't work in that job because it's physically too too demanding, find another job. Just don't decide that you're going to die on time because nobody can guarantee you're going to die on time. Uh, And so, you know, and then make sure you're not overspending on housing. Uh, that you don't have a lot of trapped equity. You could downsize your home. There's lots of places in the country that uh, where housing a lot cheaper where you can potentially move to, where you have an even bigger house, a better house. It's not going to be maybe near all your lifetime friends, but the money you save on housing may be enough for you to fly them down to, to spend time with you three times, five times a year. So housing, uh, making sure you don't have too much trapped equity is very important. Uh, Diversifying, you know, these tips are a really good thing to to think about. I-bonds are an even better way to get inflation indexed uh, treasuries. So I would first max out I-bond investments. You can do $10,000 per person for you and your spouse and any uh, kids who are living with you, or or even, well, kids can do it themselves. Um, And then, diversifying your portfolio uh if you have a lot of I bond you know I bonds and social security that's social security is really a bond itself labor income if it's not that correlated with the stock market that's also a bond so don't be too afraid of having some money in the stock market uh while you're older because the stock market's a great casino it's yielding like nine and a half percent real there's a lot of variability but on average if you're not pulling the money out it's going to do well you can see that upside in our software that if you leave it in for 10 20 50, you know 20 years from 60 to 80 that can you know with high probability give you a decent cushion just don't be spending just treat it as lost until it's found and you know working with so i would say don't be worried about having some money in the market uh, If you're you're in the entire stock market, uh, you're going to be like in 6,000 companies, 5,000 companies, highly diversified. That can be potentially as much diversification as you need because you'll be in mining companies or you'll be in companies that uh, are financial companies, in tech companies, in everything. A lot of foreign companies are listed on the U.S. exchange. So you'll be internationally diversified just by being in the U.S. market. So I would, uh, you know, think about having a floor and think about the fact of are you a bond or are you a stock? If you've got a decent amount of social security, a decent amount of tips, a decent uh, labor income stream, you are a bond, which means you need to be somewhat in stocks as well. The uh, basic story is you want to be in both stocks and bonds, and as you become more like a bond through these uh, channels, it may not feel like you're investing, you know, it may not, you may not think of Social security as a bond, but it is a very safe bond. It's just like having a tip, a TIPS uh, security because it's a stream of payments that's inflation protected and will continue until you die. And if you buy a 30-year TIPS, a TIPS uh, treasury bond, inflation protected uh, uh, security, uh, you will, and you can buy that directly from uh, treasury.gov. And Josh can help you with that. Then you've, uh, you know, you've got to forward your living standard, and then you can invest, uh, take a little bit of risk in the stock market. And it's amazing how, because the stock market is such a good performer over time, if you're not taking the money out and 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 subjecting yourself to sequence of return risk, where I take the money out, and the minute I take some of the money out, the market goes up, and I've lost out on the, the gain I could have had on that money that I withdrew. If you don't take it out for quite a while, there are very good chances that even if you put a relatively small amount in the market, that you'll have a very good upside 20 years later, 15, 20 years later.
1: Fantastic. Dr. Kotlikoff, thank you again for joining us. Folks, uh, check his website out, larrykotlikoff.substack.com. Download his podcast, subscribe. Also go to kotlikoff.net, see his latest work and get the book Money Magic go to Amazon buy it or you can get it for free when you schedule and keep your no obligation second opinion on your money with us 8898 Josh thank you so much for joining us Dr. Kotlikoff
0: Hey great pleasure Josh it's always a lot of fun fun to be with you
1: likewise take care